Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Well, welcome. My name is Mike Crowey, if you don't know. Um, I'm usually somewhere here. So, uh, did everybody have a peaceful week? I, uh, yes, Ryan did. When Rochelle shared that this morning, I thought that, that's, that's God. That's, I mean, I was taken back because I've been contemplating it and I put it in my message. We are all in a struggle. We're all in battle. and We're going to talk a lot about that. But how do we receive it? Do we expect it? Do we anticipate God's working in it? So did you have a peaceful week? I know everybody's had troubles. I had uh, some a thing happened at work that hasn't happened in 10 years this week. Uh, but I wasn't surprised because that's what happens when you're getting ready to preach. Or if you're anticipating God working in your life, he's going to give you opportunities to show that faith. To, uh. So we're in a series titled 514. It is based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And I'm going to read that to you. We appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, to instruct those who are not in their place of battle. Be skilled at gently encouraging those who feel themselves inadequate. Be faithful to stand your ground, help the weak to stand, and be quick to demonstrate patience with everyone. When Chris first brought this up, I'm like, are you crazy? Five weeks on one verse, but there's so much in here. And last week when Chris opened it, he, he focused on that first part uh, to instruct those who are not in their place of battle. And he went through that. And there was a couple, he talked about Nehemiah 3 and 4 and uh, using the sword and the hammer at the same time to be ready, be prepared, be disciplined. And, and, and now I'm going to talk about the next part. When we're in this battle, there are times we get... Uh, we feel inadequate. And what do we do then? How do we help each other? How do we overcome those feelings? Uh, but there's two main points, and I'm going to kind of build on those that Chris brought up last week. We all have a place to occupy. So you may not have a named place right now in this church, but you have a place here. You have a place in your family. You have a place in your work. And there's a circle of influence that you have a place, and that's your place of battle. And you have authority in that place. That's the first point. And the second one is get ready because you're going to be attacked when you're in that place. So let's pray. Father, I just praise you so much. We come to you, we bow to you, we give you glory for everything. I thank you for the places that you have put us, but also the preparation that you've given us. I ask you to speak through me, but I ask you to prepare the hearts of those hearing this wherever they are, whenever they are that they will hear it for them because I know everybody has this individual scenario that you've put them in and you've got control over that and you've given them authority over it. I ask you to help them hear that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, a little bit more background on 1 Thessalonians. This is probably, this is the earliest letter that we have from Paul. And uh, we learn first about his missionary trips in this one to Thessalonica in Acts 17. So Paul and Silas went to this ancient Greek city of Thessalonica to teach the gospel. 
So they were on fire. They knew their mission, and they were going to go battle. They were going to spread the word. And when they did, they had a great result because people turned to Jesus, but it also increased the persecution in the city. It increased persecution on the Jews, and it actually forced Paul to leave. And then, so over time, Paul was wanting to get back there, but it just wasn't the right way. He couldn't get there. So he sent this letter, as God would have it, uh, to reconnect and encourage the church at Thessalonica. And I was thinking, you know, how many people write letters today? And, and if you write a letter, how many of you expect it to last for 2,000 years and instruct people? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul starts out with compliments of their conversion and their faithfulness to Jesus and their faithfulness in persecution, and that's key. So Rome had seriously ramped up their persecution of the Christians at this time, and they were going through a lot of persecution, but they wanted to remain faithful. And he, in this letter, he reminds them that the essence of their Christianity is loving and serving out of faithfulness to God. And he reminds them of three main themes— holiness, that they're different now. They've got the Holy Spirit. They are set apart to live different than the rest of the city of love, that what wells up inside of them, a care, a compassion for others is because of the love that God has for them and for each of you. And hope. And I didn't know where to insert this because I could see God working in it through Daryl when he talked about this anticipation of coming to worship and that's, I, wanted to, I want you to pick that up. Everything we do, I've, I'm relating with you, Daryl. Everything we do needs to start with an anticipation of what God has for us. So that when we experience these struggles, these battles, and I'm, this is going to be good. We're gonna, it's going to come, and it's going to come when you don't expect it. And in a way that is at your weakest point. Anticipate worship. Anticipate hearing God speak to you through the word. Not through me, but through his word. Uh, there are things that probably happened to you on the way here that set you up to hear this in a raw way. And I just want you to be ready for that. So as I mentioned earlier, this portion that I'm, of the verse that I'm focused on is to be skilled at gently encouraging those who feel themselves inadequate. The, the word here for inadequate means faint-hearted. And specifically due to persecution, but it could be other reasons. But, it, but it's some form of persecution that causes you to be uh, faint-hearted. Now, you may have noticed that much of the language I'm using, much of my props, are for war, for battle. We're talking about war. And I want to highlight this because it helps us then to get ready, to prepare, to anticipate uh, how we're going to approach our days, how we're going to re react but then the second part of this, or more importantly, is how we help others around us. We see that they're faint-hearted, that they are feeling inadequate, that they're down. How do we respond? Because if we know it's an attack from the enemy, we're not going to be so judgmental. We're not going to be so accusatory or just say, fix it. This is, this is what this verse is about. All right? So how do we stay confident? Well, we dwell in God's word. That's it. I just go. You know, if, it, if only it was that easy. So a, little, a few verses earlier in Thessalonians, Paul says in verse 8, but since we belong to the day, since we are in God's word, we are the church, we are in the day, 
sorry, we must stay alert, stay clear-headed by placing the breastplate of, breastplate of faith and love over our hearts. So we protect our hearts by stepping into our faith, that, that breastplate, and loving others. We love because we anticipate, we, and that protects our hearts. We're giving because of his love. And then the helmet of the hope of salvation over our thoughts. I can't emphasize enough that we are bombarded by the spirit of fear and chaos and doubt, and that eats away at our hope, which hurts our hearts. So we need to fight that off. We need to be confident and know, know all this, do this all daily, discipline. So the Bible is great at giving direction, right? And a lot of times at first reading, we're like, wow, did it really just say that? Um, sometimes it can sound like, just go do it, just do it. Or better yet, and I'm looking for a response maybe, um, suck it up and drive on. You know, and some people really relate to that. Some people really respond to that. But other people see a way out, and they will hide, and they will not be a part of it if they're not encouraged. Um, I grew up in a military background, and I do relate with those. So it's, this wasn't going to happen. This, this is um, a difficult thing, and... Um, for me to, to get through, to learn to these processes, and to be aware of encouraging others. So let me give you a couple examples. Um, in Deuteronomy 20, the, the chapter is called Going to War. So it says, do not be faint-hearted or afraid, right? Just don't do it. Don't panic. Don't be terrified. Don't look at that enemy and be terrified. Look at them and see that you're going to win. For the Lord your God is the one who goes before you. He goes with you. He's going to fight for you against your enemies. He's going to give you victory. That's all we need, right? Well, a few verses later, verse 8, it says, Then the officers shall add this. Is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home. So do we do that? Do we just tell people to go home? Do we just leave them? Say, no, you're not worthy of battle with us. So that first passage, you know, I get it. And, and you can be bold in what God says, and you trust him, and you step into it. You know, the saying is everybody's ready for a battle until they get punched in the mouth. And then their whole game plan changes. You know, they start to be a little bit inadequate or get faint-hearted. But that second passage... If anyone is afraid or faint-hearted, send him home. But that's not the end of it. We are to be skilled in encouraging them so that they can get back in the battle and they can be with their brothers and sisters. And I think a lot of times this is where we, uh, the big church has failed. If you're hurt by the church, this is probably what happened, is you, were not, you, you weren't met with that encouragement. You were met with the word, but maybe it was wielded I didn't bring my 10-pound sledgehammer. I was going to. Sometimes you can use that as a sledgehammer, too, the word. Uh, we don't want to do that. We, we need to be skilled at this. If we help people when we recognize that they're faint-hearted, they've got this spirit of inadequacy, we can, we can give them the words. Um, we can recognize that it's a part of our calling to step into their life and redirect their thinking. And, and help them break off these spirits of chaos and disorder and doubt. And then to fuel 
that do feel the feelings of inadequacy and then to feel, fuel the feelings, the knowing, the knowledge that God is with them and he's brought victory. So a couple of months ago, I was listening to an interview and uh, the author of the book, it's, this, uh, it's called Invisible Armies and it was just an intriguing interview and I, I purchased a used copy and I began to read it and I haven't finished it yet because it's a big book. And, uh, but it was fascinating because I've grown up thinking in terms of large standing armies from great nations with the latest technology. But I hadn't given much thought to the history of guerrilla warfare. And that's what this book is about, the history of guerrilla warfare. And it goes back to King David and beyond, the Maccabees, um, Haitian armies, all through Europe and Asia and China. I mean, it's just amazing the, these battles that have been recorded in history. And basically, a small army, the underdog, is the invisible army, and they'll come up with ways. They'll be guerrillas, they'll be insurgents, and they usually have fewer resources, and they're willing to use any tactic available to cause chaos, to cause disruption and disorder with the hopes of taking ground or causing surrender. And it happens sometimes. Sometimes this process can work because people are, they lack discipline or they're not prepared or they didn't dream that this small little group of people could come up against them. Well, welcome to America. That's what we did, okay? It can happen. But the key is, is this is exactly what Satan does. He's the accuser, he's the liar. And he has a relatively short time here and he knows that, but he's gonna go ahead and exist and prowl around to seek who he can devour and attack. Satan is defeated, period. But he still exists. And I'm gonna talk about that in a little bit here. So he terrorizes and orchestrates insurgencies. We need to understand and be disciplined and be in our battle positions. We need to be disciplined, which means disciples, which means great students of Jesus. So like Paul, when we're a great student and we go, we promote holiness, we promote love, and we pr promote hope. And it really needs to be in that order because you don't get to talk to somebody about hope if they don't consider you worthy because you're not holy. You're not set apart. You don't do things differently. You need to be holy. Live differently than everybody else. Make a reason for them to want to ask you why you have the hope that keeps you moving. So two main points, if you don't grasp anything else. God is with you, and he's gone before you, and he will not fail. Now, his timing is not yours, so you've got to trust him. But he's revealed these truths, and they can embolden us and give us courage. And the second big point is that we need to be aware that our attitude or approach to battle will either encourage others or discourage others. So that's why that verse was in there in Deuteronomy. It was for the good of the group to send those people that are faint-hearted back. Because we're still trusting in God to win the battle, but we don't want to not care about the people that have to be back in the battle with us. So I grasp that. We, want, we don't want to spread faint-heartedness. We want to encourage lion-heartedness. So I'm going to take this little detour. It's going to sound like a rabbit trail, but it's more of a foundation block. So go with me through the Bible here really quickly. Um, I'm going to start with, just for some perspective, after Jesus uh, 
was in the wilderness and Satan came to tempt him, Satan says to Jesus, uh, he took him up to the, uh, a high place. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in one moment of time. And he said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Now, there's so, so much in there. It says it was delivered to him. Where did he get the authority? Well, and this is authority to rule on earth over the kingdoms of the earth. If we go back to Genesis, and we know that story, I hope, well, but God gave Adam and Eve authority and dominion over the earth. In Genesis 1, verse 28, it says that God blessed them, and he, gave, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over it. That's our authority. God gave them the authority to rule over the earth. Over the fish, the birds, the heavens, everything that moves on the earth. So Adam and Eve then messed up. So this is my warning here. Even the desire for fruit can throw you off. So Satan used a, an insurgent activity, a lying activity to manipulate them, and they weren't prepared. They, weren't, they fell for it. So they were attacked. He caught them with their guard down which ended up in them giving up territory, giving up ground to the enemy. They gave up this ground of authority to rule and have dominion. Now, now, so we know how Satan got it. It was delivered to him because of a sneaky attack on him. Now, yes, they didn't honor God, and they, they did fail, and that happens to us all. But that was Adam and Eve. So if you're feeling inadequate, you're part of the group. We, we all do it, <laughs> okay? So now we go back and we compare this to Matthew 28. So after, right after the resurrection, and Jesus is back with his disciples, and he's going to give, ready to send them out, the Great Commission. He says this to them. Jesus came to them and he said to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you all, even to the age, end of the age. So what happened? Just a review. How did the authority go from Satan back to Jesus? And I want to show you in Scripture, and I don't have all morning, so I can't show you all the Scriptures, but this is fascinating how it's in there. And I talked about a first reading. Well, this stuff is further reading. This is deep reading to get all this out of here. Uh, the Scripture gives us confidence, it even tells us what happened. And then we, once we have that boldness and that confidence, we get to go spread the word. We get to have hope and go tell the gospel to others so that they can have confidence. All right. So we don't have to wait for Jesus' return to have authority. We have it now. And in fact, we've had it since the resurrection day. Now I'm going to skip a bunch of passages um, in John that kind of build this case up but I want you I want to take you to Daniel 7 and he's talking about some visions that he's had of four beasts and uh, there's a battle that goes on and, and I'll talk about it a little bit more but God judges the earth at that time so this next passage um, it explains what happens so verse by verse what happens how Jesus got the authority back 
Um, but I, I just want to reiterate, we're talking about visions, Daniel's visions. They need to be interpreted, interpreted, and they need to be matched up with the rest of Scripture. So don't just hear me say it. I want you to be confident, but I want you to study it yourself. So it shows this awesome love that God has to provide for us in the book if we can spend this time with him, learning it. So this is what happens to Daniel. And he describes his dream in chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. He says, I looked then because the sound that he was hearing of these great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body was destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. So this is Satan as ruler of the earth. He was destroyed. Their dominion was taken away, his authority, but their lives, the other three, their lives were prolonged for a season. So this is talking about God, the ancient of days, judging the earth and taking back authority and dominion from Satan. But the lives of the remaining beasts were prolonged. And this is the time we're in. So they don't have authority, but they do have power to influence and to go around and attack us. Now, as we read on, we read in 13 and 14 that Jesus is given that authority. He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and that's Jesus. And he was presented before him. Oh, and he came to the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father. And he was presented before him, and to him given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all the peoples, the nations, the languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So uh, I hope that's stirring in you. Some of you could have already jumped up, but Jesus has all of the authority. Okay, so God the Father gave the authority to Jesus at the resurrection. So that time, uh, there's a passage in Hebrews and John that speak about uh, Jesus going to the darkness, the dark parts of the world. He took that authority back because he'd paid the price for it. It's done. So we don't have to worry about that. We just trust in him for that purchase price. Then we have access to the authority. So this is where our confidence comes from. So, uh, now we know this, it does embolden us, but remember the second part that I highlighted, there's a prolonged season of time, and Satan is still attacking us with his invisible armies. So we are at war, and God is with us, and I want you to be bold. But let's talk some more about this. How do we skillfully uh, encourage people? How do we help them when they're feeling inadequate, or they've been beaten down, or they're faint-hearted? Um, we talk a lot about the hammer and the sword. And Nehemiah, that was a great message, Chris. Um, we need to know the word, and it takes day by day. And I've got this big sword, and if it wasn't going to fall off, I'd actually take it out and show you because it's really cool. But um, sometimes um, I guess people aren't ready, and so we need to work at them a little bit at a time. So if we have the word, we can be skillful with this. It may take a long time, but we can be skillful with it. And just like um, I didn't bring my big sledgehammer, and, and this one's like a three-pound sledge, and these both helped in the foundation of this building. So, um, but sometimes they're even too big, and so we might need to bring something a little bit smaller to work with people. And how I relate that, um, 
Let me start with the church first. So this letter of Thessalonians was written to the church of Thessalonica, and they were doing things great. They, were, they, they had all received Jesus and were living holy in it, but there were some dis, uh, um, discouragement and faint-heartedness because of the persecution. So that happens for us too. We've already talked about it. Rochelle brought it up. Uh, you, we're acknowledging that life is hard. There are struggles. But how do we as a church encourage? You know, I, I, I want to say we're good, but I know there are places that we can do it better. And I, Heidi, you said this, it takes all of us. So it's not the church leadership, but it's everybody that has some influence. You're in a spot that you can see somebody's need. You can pray for them. You can cast off those demonic pressures. And you can encourage them with the word. Embolden them. Let them know that God's won this and he needs us to step into the faith to, to bring glory to him. Um, we do have equip groups. We do have a welcome team. We do have kids ministry. We have these basement room nights. Um, all of these times where we get to interact with people, but this is a reminder. How do we do that? How do we do it well? And do we need more? Do we need something different? We need to talk about it. We need to bring it up. We need to encourage each other. And just because we haven't done something one way, it doesn't mean God's not opening up a pathway for us. But when we found, find someone that is faint-hearted and feels in, inadequate, what's our first response? Do we judge their life? Do we judge how much they show up or how much they contribute? Or do we say, man, Satan is really working on them and kind of has a foothold right now. How can we address this? How can we step into this? And, and it's so broad that I can't give you just some exact ways of doing this. I do know that daily being in the word and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you and lead you will open up the doors. So then you'll know. So do we as a church give follow through to people too? Sometimes it's, we're really good at identifying the problems, but then it may take years of follow-through to grow them out of this. It might be a while before they're back to be on the battle lines. And we can encourage them, but we also need to have, be a safe place of rest and recuperation. Um, we can't just tell people to go home because they're not ready. Okay, now for the family. It's the same thing. Um, but I have to point it out because the family is the battle position that is the foundation of all society. And it is, um, it's under an immense attack all the time from all sides. And there, it's relentless. And it comes from, like the fruit for Adam and Eve, you know, what looks good, maybe it's eating away at our heart all the time. You know, maybe it's a negative influence of your social media feed, and I hate to pick on that, but it could be just the straight-up media. It could be the people that you work with. It might be worth changing jobs to not hear the constant berating or negative talk or chaotic spirit. It could be just chaos in your life. We've got to get out of this. 
and, and there's a way to do it, and, but it has to start at the family. I want to, uh, there are ways to do this. I, I think one way we're experimenting with, I guess, and we've talked for years, Sherry and I, when I say we have talked about um, family dinners, but to ramp that up, we've tried to institute a Shabbat dinner. So spending, I mean, this is based on a Jewish practice of actually setting aside time and space for God. And then in that, there's time and space for each other. So like we create activities or avenues for people at church, the family unit needs that too. And um, I think the best way to say this is, uh, let me go back to the beginning. When God created all of this, he created time and space. So space first, and then he set in, instituted time for us. And he created us so that we would be in time and space for him, to, to have a relationship with him, to reconnect, to stay connected. So we need to do that, and this was a Jewish practice, but it's, it's so powerful. Um, and I'll tell you why I know it's powerful. But in setting aside time, it's basically you actively bring glory to God and you praise him and you bless him in front of your family, not just quietly to yourself, but you do that in front of your family. And then you take what you know from the word, maybe how um, God worked in certain families, like with Ephraim and Manasseh. He cut off uh, spiritual battles. He cut them off for the one, and he doubled the portion of the other. So we pray that prayer over our young men that any spiritual uh, fight that they're fighting will be cut off and that God will provide a double portion, a blessing. And then with the, the ladies, with the young women, we have examples of, of Ruth and Sarah and uh, just so many that we can pray that God works in their lives and uses them like he used them. So what we're doing is calling down a spiritual aspect that God's shown us in the Bible to our lives, and we're blessing and praying over our kids. And I'm, I'm telling you, we're just starting it, and um, <laughs> it's crazy because when, when you do it well, <laughs> then Satan really attacks but, but you know it's really well. You know you're doing well. You know, you know before that, but you know why it happens then. So your first instinct isn't to fail and feel inadequate. It's to be built back up. Um, sorry. <laughs> the other thing we need, we need to rest in God. Um, and, and part of that rest, we have to restore. We have to be restored, so re redemption. And I talked about this earlier with Jesus. He paid that price, so we need to accept that redemption, and that restores our relationship with God. So be intentional about setting aside a time with him. But now that same principle applies within our family. We have to receive and offer forgiveness and redemption and restore those relationships so that we can bless and uh, encourage each other. 
So this is where it gets delicate, and that's why we need a little smaller tools, but more consistently. It's daily, 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 every day. And I would t challenge you to begin the prayer for tomorrow, tonight. Because when you do that, you're stepping into trusting God and saying, you know what, Lord, I give you all of this, and I'm saying that I trust that you're going to work and prepare for me while I'm sleeping. That's what the Shabbat or Sabbath is about, is saying, God, I know that you're going to provide for me in the six days of work or five that we do um, enough, more than I could do in seven days. Um, so anyway, there's so much history to that, but if we will step into that's actively pursuing your faith. That is practicing what you believe about what God's told you, who he is, and who we know he is. Oh, goodness. So redemption and time with God to restore these relationships. We have to be active about it. Uh, this time it has to be valuable. If you're leading this, I would challenge you Start early in the week to prepare. Ask God what he wants you to share. Plenty of verses, and I'm going to give you a few uh, just out of start. Um, we talk about David being a man after, uh, with a heart after God. And um, Psalm 16, uh, the heading, it just kind of makes me smile. It's called the golden secret. Um, but in there, David walks through that God is his protection, and he talks about how he keeps him safe. And he's just, oh, mighty God, I run to you. You're my safe place. And, and verse 4 talks about those who yield to their weakness, their faintheartedness. If you yield to it, they have troubles unending. Your troubles don't stop if you stay in your faintheartedness. And that's tough. Um, then he goes on to talk about how God is his portion. Yahweh, you alone are my inheritance. If you say that out loud to God, you start to believe it and you feel it and you are anticipating him reaching into you. Because I set, my, I set you, Yahweh, always close to me. He's praising God. He's my confidence and I'm never weakened. These practices of reading through the Psalms will give you a, a flavor but I, I want you to go to the point where you're writing your own psalms. You're writing your own praises, especially for your family time. Um, another psalm, uh, Psalm 18, just in verse 2, and I listed how much God, uh, David praises God. And is, it's encouraging to me to read because he knew that God trained him for all that he had in store. And when he became the king... And all that, that authority that he had, he still had times of faint-heartedness. But he writes this about God. He says, the Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield. He's my salvation. And my stronghold or my high tower, it says in another words. So I say all that to say there's, there's just a wealth of information written and inspiration from the Holy Spirit that we can gather to bring into our, our ideas um, about how to lead our family. So how do we be bold and step into that battle position? You know, we don't want our faith to be based on the fear of failing or the fear of letting somebody else down. We want our fear of God uh, to drive our faith. So um, there's reverence. And, and an awe of him, that that's what drives our faith. 
Uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but there are actually two, what, like hundreds of places that says don't be afraid, don't fear. But there are two places that says to fear. And that fear is the fear of the Lord, that awe, that reverence. But there's another one, and it's in uh, I, Hebrews 4.1. I think I skipped over it. Uh, where be afraid if you don't spend time with God. Don't, uh, don't miss that opportunity. That is so much at the core of what he wants back from us. And that's so much at the core at what people that are feeling inadequate or, in, or faint-hearted need is our time and our effort. Um, you, you hit it on the head when you said anticipation, Daryl. That's what this is all about, is what are we looking for to receive and then to give to God? As I wrap up, I just want to end with some words that um, King David, when he was preparing to die, he said to Solomon, when David's time grew, drew near, to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. Keep in charge of the Lord your God. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper and do all that you have to do wherever you turn. So take that and be bold with it. But know that when, when Satan attacks... We have a way, we have a process to, to combat that. And if, if we do get faint-hearted, if we start to fail, there's a place and a process to recover from that. Uh, in the book of Jude, Jude was one of Jesus' stepbrothers, we'll call them. Uh, Jude doesn't claim that. He says he's a servant of Jesus. It's cool. He's a brother of James, but he's a servant of Jesus. That's just a great attitude. But he uh, goes on to tell us uh, to keep being compassionate to those who still have doubts and snatch others out of the fire to save them. Be merciful over and over to them, but always couple your mercy with the fear of the Lord. Be extremely careful to keep yourselves free from the pollutions of the flesh. So that holiness that I talked about, We've got to be extremely careful with that, that we aren't of the world and being polluted. And I just, I just ask you to pray about that. What in your life is distracting you or taking the time away or your heart away that you need to be giving back to God, that he desires and that you will love to give him when you get in this process? And then love others. That, that love that you feel will flow out. That power that the Holy Spirit, you will cut off satanic and devil processes and and influences you will do that and then do not give up giving hope to others it's got to be in our face it's got to be in our countenance it needs to be in our words we have hope we have a reason to hope and that fuels the heart it, and it's just a, a huge spiral upwards it just keeps getting better so when we have these weeks like every week that something comes up and it wasn't as we planned or wanted. Uh, we, we see Satan attacking, but maybe you take heart that you're doing something right and he wants to take you down. So there's going to be insurgencies and there's going to be guerrilla fighters, but we have the king that has authority over all of it. 
So I want to close with a doxology from Jude. Now to the one with enough power to prevent you from stumbling into sin and to bring you faultless before his glorious presence and to stand before him with ecstatic delight. To the only God our Savior through our Lord Jesus Christ be endless glory and majesty and great power and authority from before he created time now and through all the ages of eternity. Amen.